This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. 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 Let it bump, though. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, gets up super-incredibly, insanely early just to bring you his awesome, spectaculario, fantabulous basketball takes co-host Andrew D. Bailey. We are coming at you early on a Friday morning. It will not be this early when you were listening to it. A one podcast week for us, which is a little exciting because both of us have a lot going on. We are going to continue steamrolling through our division previews for the upcoming NBA season. Before we start, uh, though, or continue on with the Northwest Division, that is, get excited. I just want to remind, implore, beg, plead, ask everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us. On iTunes, Andy and I get absolutely giggly when we see those numbers go up. So if you want to see us cackle like a bunch of school children, you should definitely take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day, search Hardwood Knocks on iTunes, throw us that five-star review uh, rating, then leave a review. It can include any feedback that you might have other than about our internet connections, which we know have been on the fritz lately. No need to point those out. Or you can steal friends' and family's phones. You could also go the extra mile and recommend us to them if they're looking for some really terrible, no good, truly bad basketball takes in their lives. And finally, as always, you can still get 15% off at the NBA Math Shop, mbamath.com slash shop, promo code Benno, B-E-N-O. And now to the question everyone's been dying to know the answer to for roughly the past week. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing good. It is early, like you said, but at least I didn't play pickup basketball last night. So I'm I'm operating on a little bit more sleep than the last time I was yeah, on the Yeah, lucky show. for anyone that you would have posterized that you didn't play pickup basketball <laughs> last night. That I would have uh, big country Bryant Reeves. That's, <laughs> that's my game now. I, I just park my behind in the lane and nobody can get around me. And it's actually pretty effective, so... It makes me wonder why I wasn't 50 pounds overweight when I was in high school. Are you noticeably – because I met you in person, I think, a couple times or at least once. Are you noticeably bigger than the people you play pickup basketball, or is everyone in Wyoming just like six seven six eight? <laughs> no, for the most part, I'm usually the biggest guy there. There you go. Um, there was um, – the, the place where I regularly play, there was a guy who used to go that was about the same size as me who just sort of stood out there and shot threes. But I think he might have moved away. For the most part, most places I go, actually, I'm the biggest guy. 
Nice. Which is nice. <laughs> Dunk on them fools. Uh, so, we want to uh, preview the Northwest Division here. I don't know how you um, attacked it, but I just went through each team as they finished last season. So, do you want to start with the Blazers? Yeah, let's roll with it. Uh, Sweet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it back to you because you kind of uh, came up with the formula for how we're going to attack these teams. Yes. Um, so, Portland finished 10th in net rating. It was 15th in offensive rating and 7th in defensive rating. This is all according to cleaning the glass. Um, so, those are their 2017-2018 vitals. They were 49 and 33, finished 3rd in the West, which is impressive, but it also needs to be kind of asterisked that they were only three games in front of the ninth place Denver Nuggets, who also happen to be in their division. But that just seems like an important contextual anecdote when you're sort of analyzing the Western Conference because, yes, it's the three seed, but everyone in that three to nine, three to ten window is so tightly contested. And so now I get to throw it back to you as we, as we go through kind of the just rubric that we have laid out for us here. What was their uh, best offseason move, in your opinion? I think it has to be Seth Curry, right? Um, that didn't do a ton this offseason. They're not going to look terribly different, but I actually really like the Seth Curry edition. He missed all of last season with an injury, but that was you know coming on the heels of a pretty legit breakout with the Mavericks where he played almost 30 minutes a game, averaged 12 points. Um, if you look at players with at least as many career three-point attempts as Seth Curry, the only ones with a better three-point percentage are Steve Kerr, Hubert Davis, Drazen Petrovic, Stephen Curry, and Jason Capono. So if, if Seth Curry is healthy, if he is the version of himself that broke out with the Dallas Mavericks, I think he will sort of fill that Shabazz Napier role pretty well. And I, I think they have a very strong three-guard rotation with him, Lillard, and McCollum. That was a really good um, that that was a really good pickup by then. And, yeah. Um, they couldn't. The fact that they got someone who you know can make that type of impact, uh, when they really didn't have any money to spend, is is a pretty big deal. But it's fascinating to see what he would have gotten on the market had he uh, never uh, been injured. He something I found interesting too, and he would be my pick for them as well. In case anyone didn't really catch that, so. 169 players in 2016-2017 attempted at least 100. um, uh, Well, actually, no, the sorting was wrong on this. It was that was field goal attempts Uh, of anyone who attempted at least 100 pull-up three-pointers in 2016-2017. Seth Curry was first in percentage, uh, 44.9% on pull-up threes. Second place was again. This is 2016-2017. CJ McCollum. So the Blazers have two of the best high volume pull up three point shooters from a year ago. Let's let's pour one out for them. What would be your biggest loss or worst move for the Blazers this offseason? Uh biggest loss for me is gonna be Ed Davis. Um they've got other backup big men. I, I think they're pretty high on Zach Collins. Um Myers Leonard was good a couple of years ago. I don't still I don't know if they still have any hope for him, but I mean there's there's bodies there still. 
but I don't think they have anybody who's quite going to do what Ed Davis did for them. And I, I think he's quietly been pretty underrated in the NBA for a few years now. There was a Lakers team. It might have been at the very start of this you know, sub-500 run that they had where Ed Davis was objectively <laughs> their best player. Um, and he's he's just been quietly solid for a few years now. There's he He's in the mold of this modern big. I looked up set of people who match Ed Davis's career offensive rebound block and true shooting percentages, Rudy Gobert, DeAndre Jordan, Clint Capella, and Hassan Whiteside. Um, so he's very much one of these modern bigs who can gobble up offensive rebounds. He's efficient because he scores off those offensive rebounds. He scores off the lobs and he protects the rim a little bit too. And I'm, I'm not sure they have somebody who does all of those, those things. I think Nurkic does it a little bit. But Lillard actually had a better net rating when he played with Davis than he did with Nurkic last season. And maybe that's because that duo was going up against second units more than Lillard and Nurkic was. Um, but I, I think they had one of the best backup centers in the league last year. And that's, you know, it's certainly not a given that that's going to happen again this season. Yeah, he would be my pick for them as well. And and he's just, I mean, the the way that he's able to really just chase around kind of the smaller bigs gives you a lot of options for the center that he plays with the lineups with him and Zach Collins, the minutes that they saw together, they were, um, they did very well for Portland and to kind of lose him, uh, sucks. We saw CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard both react, um, on Twitter when he left for Brooklyn. That's, I'm going to be really interested to see how he fits in there. The Blazers won't feel his loss as much if, uh, Zach Collins con- continues to improve, uh, but then we're going to need to see kind of how some of their smaller lineups work too. Um, the Amanu Collins pairing is going to be big for them. Maybe you see more Harkless at the four as well, and uh, Turner at the three, or maybe you're really small at the three and you put Stauskas there, or maybe you run with Lillard McCollum and Seth Curry at the same times. So those could be offensive lightning rods. He's, he, Ed Davis is deceptively valuable across the board, and, and I think they will at points, um, maybe even de- defensively, not even just looking at uh, a big who can set screens and, and roll since they have, you know, Nurkic really isn't that guy. You have Collins is more in the pick and pop uh, department. They'll feel that, but just the defense, I think that uh, this will be a pretty big test for them and for just Terry Stotts' overall schemes. Who is the player on this roster most likely to have a breakout season? And just as I reminded everyone in the previous podcast, we've phrased this so that we are able to include rookies. It's not most improved. It's um, it's just breakout. And this it won't apply to the Blazers unless Andy is ridiculously <laughs> high on uh, Anthony Simons. But uh, that's just a housekeeping note for everyone to remember. I was kind of high on Anthony Simons. He was one guy that I was kind of thinking the Jazz might be looking at. But this is a, this uh, topic piggybacks pretty well off the last one for the Blazers because I'm going to go with Zach Collins. Um, Ed Davis is gone, and like I said, I'm not sure. You know, I'm not 100 sure Zach Collins will uh, replicate everything that he brought, but I think he's going to get a chance um, to at least try, and maybe he can do a lot of what Davis did plus have a little bit more range as a shooter. I think he's a, he has the chance to be a pretty good pick and pop guy. Um, and with Davis gone, he's almost certainly going to get more minutes. So just 
just by nature of <laughs> the fact that he's he's the next guy up. I think he's probably the breakout. They, I am interested to see whether they're going to get hit, and he would have to be my pick too. We've been in lockstep right now, but this team just isn't. It's predictable because they didn't undergo a ton of change, and they don't have a, a ton of upside um, on the roster. Uh, Zach Collins, you would think eventually he's he's more mobile when he's defending in space, and he showed that uh, at times toward the end of the season, and even as the Blazers were getting swept. Uh, a little bit against the Pelicans, though you also kind of saw his vulnerability uh, if you had to see him go up against Nikola Mirotic. And so it's making me wonder, can you carve out more time for him at the five? And then what do those minutes really look like? Who's the best, uh, you know, three, four partners for him in that situation? Collins only logged 193 possessions at center last year and the Blazers were um, they had a minus 9.5 net rating uh, with a 110.5 defensive rating that's going to be something for them to really look at and I would think you have to look at it because you don't want to play yes Collins can get by at the four especially on offense but the, the him and Nicole Nurkic pairing is just weird and it's not uh, they didn't play a lot together last year, 101 possessions, during which time the Blazers had a minus 31.9 net rating. And it, is that where then this team could feel the absence of Ed Davis because he was a nice fit for Zach Collins. When those two played together, and they played together a lot, 1,521 possessions, the Blazers were up at a plus 6.2 net rating. And the defense wasn't spectacular, but it was good enough, and their offensive rating was almost 114. Collins would be the pick to make that breakout, but he's going to have to come a long way defensively to, to measure up against kind of these bigger fives for, for I think, them to really indulge his potential on, on the offensive end. Long term, he needs to be a center, though, right? Yeah, and the the playoffs again. While I said there were, there were plays where you, where you looked at him in that I say the playoffs, but it was four games where you looked at him and uh, you you can see it. And it was throughout the course of the season he was just he was really good at keeping uh, pace with some guys in space. But as you said, big picture, I just don't see that being tenable, particularly just with the way the league is going. We might get to a point, maybe there'll be a big man renaissance eventually, but it seems like we're just going to get to a point where. 90% of the people playing the four are essentially wings, and that's going to be a problem for anyone who falls under the Zach Collins umbrella. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, player most likely to be traded on this team? So I don't feel like I have a great answer on this question for any of these teams. Um, with the exception of maybe the Timberwolves, I just it's hard for me to imagine big trades, but with the Blazers, I think if there is going to be one, it'll it'll go back to that thing that we've been hearing about for years now, and it's splitting up Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. And I think if they're going to go ahead and do that, the one to trade would be C.J. McCollum. I think he still has pretty good trade value. Um, but I'm not trading Damian Lillard. I mean, he just, he just made first-team All-NBA. Um, he was ridiculous last season. He's been ridiculous for, for three or four years now. I, I don't think he likes the... Stephen Curry light comparison, but it fits. Um, he he's just been an excellent, excellent 
offensive player for a few years now. I think that's a lot harder to replace than what C.J. McCollum does. And maybe if you can pair Lillard with a slightly bigger shooting guard who can maybe guard a few more positions than McCollum can, maybe you re- a little bit. So, I again, I don't think I see a trade coming for the Blazers, but if I if there was one, I, I would go ahead and say C.J. McCollum. That's a good pick. Uh, part of me wants to go with like an Evan Turner or Mo Harkless and see whether the Blazers are interested in including sweeteners. Although they probably, I mean, they'll need they'll have to take back something, but they won't need a sweetener for Mo Harkless just to duff the tax. But my pick is actually Damian Lillard. And for me, uh-huh. it essentially comes down to if, if you trade McCollum, you can spin it as a retool, but Lillard is the player you trade. If you find out that you need to, start over and I don't particularly think they're likely to trade either one of them that's my disclaimer but if the Blazers are going to make this type of move I do see them tilting more toward the let's hit reset and a big part of that is you look at CJ McCollum very good offensive player as you noted his contract he has three years and 82.7 million dollars on it not a bad contract but could be above market value. I I don't know that I would say he's as good as Bradley Beal, who makes slightly I don't, I don't think he is. No. And so he makes slightly less. And here's my thing is what are you changing CJ McCollum into? There's not a team that's gonna look at him and say, This is our big picture building block and we're going to give you uh some younger players, some cheaper role players and, and picks just giving you this hodgepodge of a package that makes you deeper maybe a little bit more well-rounded I don't see that happening he's gonna this is his age 27 season and again he's definitively outside to me the top 25 player totem pole you can get more for Damian Lillard uh, for when you're looking for but you can't spin that as a retool which is then the problem I will say that if if there's a situation where it's like uh, let's look at Minnesota, where if they're willing to give up Butler and his expiring contract for C.J. McCollum, that would make uh, a C.J. McCollum trade more likely than a Damian Lillard one. But short of finding that opportunity where you're going to gamble on a star with an expiring contract, I don't know that it's especially prudent to trade C.J. McCollum without also trading Damian Lillard or just trading Damian Lillard to see what you get back and then reassessing the your your situation uh, over the summer. That uh, McCollum-Butler idea is really interesting to me. Um, I never thought about that until you just threw that out there. I guess if uh, if Minnesota got desperate enough, I could see that. That's, that's very interesting to me. But even if you look beyond, and it, it almost has to be Butler. I mean, first of all, could you imagine a team that has Wiggins and McCollum on the same team defensively? Like, <laughs> like woof. Uh, but Lou Aldang. Oh yeah, excuse me. Uh, defensive Player of the Year for 2018-2019, Lou Aldang. Um, the the thing there is though is that Butler's probably the only situation where that works. The Celtics aren't going to take McCollum in a hypothetical Kyrie trade. Although, could you imagine Kyrie and Damian Lillard on the same team? I don't see Toronto, even if they decided to reroute Kawhi Leonard, um, taking C.J. McCollum, since they're more interested in having clean books as they move forward if, if Leonard isn't going to come back. 
And so that's also would be in support of my Damian Lillard stance. I actually don't think it's going to happen if this team undergoes major change. I'd expect it to be next offseason, if that. Uh, Neil O'Shea has said in the past that it's not always about winning the championship. It's about the journey. And so he might be okay with Portland's place in the West. But if they look like they're going to miss the playoffs, you might see maybe Damian Lillard get a little bit prickly behind the scenes. And while he doesn't have leverage because he's not a free agent until 2021, he could make life difficult on them. Or if he asks for a trade uh, or is just visibly disgruntled, that could kind of expedite the process as well. And he does seem like he's more likely to express that kind of displeasure than CJ McCollum. That would bring us to, yeah, I mean, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, if they go the blow it up route, then Lillard obviously has more trade value. Are the Blazers going to have a better defense or a better offense? I'm going to go with defense. Um, I've, I've got the NBA.com numbers, and I think the cleaning the glass ones that you cited was 15th in offense last year and 7th in defense. Yep. Um, I don't I don't think they did enough to <laughs> to flip. I mean, that's a pretty wide gap. Um, defense kind of carried them last season, and like we've said a couple times now, they're largely – the same team. I don't, I don't think Seth Curry's um, that much of an offensive upgrade over Shabazz Napier that it would flip it. So I'm going to go with defense. I think I'm with you there too. It's just, Although, when I was looking at this question, I thought for a couple of years now, it's felt like, and maybe it's just because I I'm still remembering the Blazers of three or four years ago. It feels like their offense should be better. It it should it does they need more to me it seems like they just need more shooters around their two primary ball handlers and now I think you probably have to iron out some of the Yosef Nurkic post ups would probably help uh, yeah but I, I don't know that they have they're always okay at generating floor spacing but do they they don't have that Seth Curry might be that guy now but even some of their best shooters Mo Harkless. Al Farouk Aminu, like those aren't high volume three point guys. And you know, maybe Nick Stauskas and Seth Curry really bring up their offensive ceiling. But when you're going to rely on a lot of just one on one, create from scratch sets from Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, they can be super efficient on tough shots. But that's just sort of the risk you run if you're not going to surround them with the basically the LeBron model with just a ton of shooters. And Nurkic isn't that. They finally have a, a real pick-and-pop weapon in Zach Collins. Perhaps that helps, but I, I agree with you. I don't think they close the gap nearly enough. And NBA.com's numbers has them at fourth in defensive rating after the All-Star break. That they could Again, you lose Ed Davis, but I don't think the loss of him defensively, I, I still don't even know if that's Chase. This could be a team that is just 15th in both, too, if you look at them, potentially. But But I do think that they'll be probably top 12 or, or better of a defensive team. And I think you can put a, a near guarantee on that. I don't know that you could do the same for the offense. Yep. I agree with that. Next up playoffs or not. Nah? I'm, <laughs> I'm so torn on this just because like you laid out at the top of this episode, the West is just going to be ridiculous. And I think this season it's realistically could be three through 10. That's that's packed real tight within three or four games of each other. Um, with that long disclaimer out of the way, I'm going no. I, I know they just finished third in the West. Um, I know another team we're going to talk about later didn't really do anything. 
this offseason. Um, but I'm I'm thinking that they kind of fall out just because they didn't move the needle forward enough. And I'm still one of those people who thinks that last season might be a tiny bit of a mirage with them. The Pelicans um, they series got would certainly agree with super you. Super in the middle of the season. Yeah, that, that Pelican series was pretty revealing, I thought. And I just, you know, if you get shellacked that bad in the first round of the playoffs and you react. And it, I was going to say, if you react by doing nothing, you know, you have a chance of going out. But there's, like you said, there wasn't really a ton that they could do. Um, short of making a big move like trading McCollum or Lillard. So I get why they stood pat. I just feel like the other teams in the West got um, you know, enough improvement to squeeze Portland out. I agree with really everything you say there. If they do make the playoffs, though, since they are kind of one of those in-between teams – what do you see their ceiling as? Do you think they could make it out of the first round? Do you think it's basically they're going to go as a seven or eight seed, and so you're facing a, a Houston or a or or a Golden State team, and they're not going to be able to make it out of the first round? I mean, nothing's a hundred percent, but I put first round as <laughs> my answer. Um, I, I think they would definitely lose if they played the Warriors, the Rockets in the first round and, and we saw what happened when they played a team that wasn't the Warriors or the Rockets um, in the Pelicans last season. So if I had to guess, I would say they're, they're probably capped at a first round appearance if they do get in. We are in lockstep there. We were pretty close uh, everywhere for this team. Where would you like to go next? All right, let's do the Thunder next. I'm just going to keep going down uh, last season standings. Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, the Carmelo Anthony list, Oklahoma City Thunder. Last, <laughs> exactly. Let's talk about first. Last season, and this is going to be wonky because cleaning the glass kind of takes out garbage time, uh, but the Thunder were seventh in net rating. They were seventh in offensive rating and tenth in defensive rating. Again, all according to cleaning the glass, NBA.com is going to reflect as favorably on them. They won... 48 games, 48 and 34. And so I'm going to just throw it back to you. What was their best offseason move, Andy? So you kind of alluded to it already. I'm going to go with the loss of Carmelo Anthony as their best offseason move. You probably remember better than I do how much money they saved just by getting him off the books. I, I remember it was a massive tax bill savings for them. And I think they probably could have justified it just from that perspective alone. Um, but I think there's a pretty clear basketball reason too. Uh, OKC was plus 4.9 points per hundred possessions when Westbrook, George and Mello were on the floor. And that's good. Uh, that's very good, especially against opposing starting units. But when Westbrook and George were on the floor without Mello, OKC was plus 14.6 points per hundred possessions. And I think that that discrepancy was kind of amplified in that first round series against the jazz. Um, I should have pulled these numbers up before, but just basic on off against the jazz. Let's see how well I can ramble until I find this. Uh, in that opening playoff series, see how slowly I'm talking here. Um, when mellow was on the floor, against the Jazz in the playoffs, the Thunder were minus 58 
Um, when, he, <laughs> when he was off the floor in that series, they were plus 32. Um, Utah was just, and obviously that's the biggest discrepancy on the team <laughs> for that series, and by a, a very wide mar- margin. When he was on the floor, he was just getting targeted possession after possession. Um, I'm, I'm not ready to decide whether or not it's going to work in Houston, but I don't think it was working in uh, Oklahoma City, and I think just jettisoning him out of there is going to make them a better team. I agree with you. Uh, my pick would be, though, re-signing Paul George was just obvious. Yeah, that's, big. <laughs> that, that's their own player, but it validated the risk that they took last year by trading him in the first place, and they essentially staved off a teardown. If you lose Paul George, what are you doing? That Westbrook contract becomes almost a detriment because you don't have the trade assets or the cap space to go out and get him a partner in crime. So to keep Paul George now, knowing that they played, both him and Westbrook uh, played well without Melo on the floor, that's going to be a a big deal. And so then you, you bake in the addition by subtraction of that kind of Carmelo Anthony trade. This team seems like it's set up to maybe not surprise people, but I would think to contend for a top three spot in the West. And maybe we're talking about a situation where they're a tier above those middle pack teams. Maybe in a few months we're saying, you know what, it's Golden State, Houston, Oklahoma City, and everybody else. I don't know that things will go that way. Teams like Utah, New Orleans, Denver are going to be really good, but they have the potential to do that. And it's all just gone uh, if Paul George leaves. And I don't think it's uh, possible to just understate how important that was because that would have been him leaving would have almost have been a bigger hit than Kevin Durant leaving because they just, at this point, it wasn't, you, you couldn't stave off the rebuild any longer. Yeah, there would have been. That's a good point. There would have been nowhere to turn. You mentioned uh, them possibly finishing third. I, I could see this team getting as high as second. Is that crazy? No, that's definitely their ceiling, and I think it's. We could say that maybe about a few teams, but I think it's a realistic ceiling too. When you look at how the Rockets um, might be worse, I, we talked ad nauseum about them in the Suns Rockets trade breakdown, but I don't really know what to make of Houston at this point. I could see. I could see Oklahoma City easily finishing. Maybe not easily, but I could see them snagging the number two seed. And, and their defense should be uh, ridiculously good. And my pick, if Paul George didn't qualify or if listeners don't want him to qualify, would be the Nerlens Noel signing. That's just a very interesting risk interesting. Yeah. to me. Uh, coming off the bench behind Steven, Adam, Steven Adams, you get someone who should uh, be a, a nice rim runner for you. He gives you a lot of defensive versatility. And so at the very least, he's still kind of this coin toss on offense, but at the very least, he's going to make it easier for you to survive uh, defensively up front when Steven Adams isn't on the court. And it's sort of this hedge against, I lauded the Patrick Patterson addition to no end last year, and then he really just didn't look right uh, during 2017-2018. He's not coming off knee surgery this offseason, and so that should help them, but they also don't seem too interested in using him at center, Patrick Patterson, I mean. And if that's not your plan, if you want him to be a four, um, then then Nerlens Noel is a huge addition. Or if you just don't trust Patterson to play the five because uh, Oklahoma City was a minus 5.5 points per 100 possessions when Patterson played 
the five last year. So I, it just gives you a lot, lot more options up front. And even the Nolan's Noel Patrick Patterson front court could be something that's interesting for them. So if it's not going to be Paul George, I did like the, the Nerlens Noel edition. Yeah, I like that one too. Um, that would bring us to yeah. the biggest loss or worst offseason move. Or these can also be, and I think I'm just getting out in front of the Jazz, uh, the move that you would have liked to have seen them made that they didn't. But okay. carry on. <laughs> um, so I... <laughs> I texted you about this one when I was going through these questions the other night. Uh, I'm not sure OKC really had a misstep this offseason. Um, I, I think I've liked everything that they've done. Saved a ton of money by trading Mellow. And I think, you know, Dennis Schroeder has his issues. He certainly had him in, in Atlanta. But I think he's still young enough to get somewhat excited about him being a backup point guard. If he's, if he's back to the player he was when he was backing up Jeff Teague, um, I think he's certainly an interesting player. And I, I kind of like the idea of some of those Westbrook Schroeder um, potential lineups with both of those guys on the floor. Um, like you said, Nerland's Noel was a nice addition. Um, cutting Kyle Singler saved him a bunch of money too. Uh, they brought in a bunch of interesting wings this is a team that really didn't have a lot of wiggle room and they, they took interesting flyers on guys like Timotei Luawu Cabrero. Um, I'm still like cautiously optimistic about what Terrence Ferguson might be able to do. Uh, I think given where they started and how sort of hamstrung they were financially, their, their finished product at the end of this off season, I'm, I'm pretty impressed by. I agree with you. I'm not high on Dennis Schroeder's fit for this team at all. At the same time, I don't think that I can pick that as their worst offseason move because of what of who they got rid of in the process. How they handle that contract going forward with Schroeder, though, is, is just going to be mega interesting because you essentially have him at $15-plus million a year for the next three years. I, I'm just going to focus on what they didn't do. And they didn't add enough shooting. And that's going to be a concern for this team is how do you get um, clean pick and roll looks for Steven Adams and Nerlens Noel if you don't have enough floor spacers. And so I'm just looking at their wings. And here's where they all ranked in uh, spot-up efficiency last year. Alex Abrinas, the 75th percentile. Terrence Ferguson, 37th percentile. Paul George, 93rd percentile. Jeremy Grant. 34th percentile, TLC, 42nd percentile, Andre Robertson, 10th percentile. And then you throw in Schroeder and Westbrook. You had Schroeder was in the 18th percentile of spot-up efficiency. Russell Westbrook was in the 34th percentile of spot-up efficiency. That's potentially, I guess you can't call it damning because Westbrook creates so much chaos that your offense should still be respectable with him on the floor, but if they're not going to, their offense could end up being this chore again. And that's what it felt like sometimes watching their offense last year was just this chore. And they didn't have a lot of resources. I totally understand that. Uh, But if you, you acquired talent, just as we said, you were able to get TLC, you were able to get Dennis Schroeder, you were able to get rid of Carmelo Anthony for a team that was so resourceful. They really didn't address their most glaring need or their second most glaring priority, depending on how much you wanted them to get rid of Mello. Yeah, I, I think that's all fair. Uh, shooting is definitely going to be a concern. 
most likely breakout player for the Thunder? So I went with Abrinas here, and it's because I think they're going to be lacking shooting. Um, so I'm I'm glad you made that argument in the last <laughs> little segment there. Uh, they they are going to need people to hit threes, and if you just sort of scan a lot of those wings, and you just named them all, the one who's most likely to provide a little bit of punch as a shooter is Alex Abrinas. He's shot about 38% in each of his first two seasons in the NBA, which isn't, you know, it doesn't blow you away in today's NBA, but it's still good. It's still like comfortably above average. Um, there, there are going to be backup minutes available on the wing. And if he can be a 38% three-point shooter again, or let's say he even bumps up over 40 I think he suddenly becomes super valuable for this team because, like you said, other than him, the shooting pretty much begins and ends with Paul George. So you've, <laughs> you've got to find a way to get some shooting on the floor, and it, he seems like the most likely uh, candidate to do that. He, and he's probably, uh, aside from Paul George, he's, you, when you watch them play, he looks like the only player that you can talk yourself into saying, hey, bring him off a screen and throw up quick fire threes. Even mm-hmm. if you're getting, I don't know that Terrence Ferguson or TLC is ever going to be that player. TLC would be an interesting breakout pick or Ferguson for me. I kind of think that I'm going to go with Jeremy Grant though. Uh, if he can just shoot better from the corners, he's going to be a big part of what they do because he can, basically you can defend almost every position you can get minutes from him at the three at the four you can definitely get minutes from him at the five and that would be something huge uh maybe unlock a potential offensive cheat code we talk about creating space if you go from being able to uh not really having shooting on the floor to then having it at the five that does a lot for their offense he did shoot 27.3% from the corners last year, where 50% of his three-point attempts came from. I don't expect him to indulge in a ton of volume. Uh, just You look at the players around him, I'm sure they'll even allocate more shots or plays for Alex Abrinas at the offensive end. He was at 2.4 three-point attempts per 36 minutes last year. But I'm looking at this team's identity, almost there have to have to have to have identity uh at the defensive end and he seems like he's going to be just a demonstrative part of of what they do and I think they should try to get to a point where they're playing him at center a little bit more often maybe that's me being too whimsical just because you have Adams Noel and Patterson as well but they were plus 7.9 points per 100 possessions when Jeremy Grant played uh, center last year and their offensive rating during that time was almost 118 and the defense wasn't great, but you need those lineups that are really going to just be off to the races on, on the offensive end. And I think Grant uh, could help them uh, unleash those types of combinations. Yeah, I, I think Grant at the five, that's probably his best position. Um, but having Adams and Noel there is just going to make it harder to get to those lines. But I agree, that's something that, that they need to at least try to get to. Who is the most likely player to be traded on this team? This is another team I don't really see making a trade. Um, I think they did all of their damage this summer, but Dennis Schroeder, um, of all the guys on this roster, he's the one who seems like he has the most tradable deal. He's still fairly young. He's uh, 
He's about to turn 25. Maybe if he looks pretty good in this backup um, point guard role uh, slash, you know, play someone with Russell Westbrook, some team could talk themselves into him. Um, I mean, Atlanta just talked themselves into him being their starting point guard a couple years ago. So maybe some team like Orlando thinks, you know, he looks pretty good. Let's take a shot at him. And he has a fairly movable contract. So if I had to pick a guy, I'm going to go with Schroeder. But uh, again, I don't think they're going to make a move. Yeah, I'm with you on the probably not make a move front. If they do, I could kind of see it being TLC. He still holds intrigue as kind of this just throw-in prospect. And maybe at midseason, if Cleveland is just terrible and you're looking to make a trade for Kyle Korver, you use him and salary filler to get it done. Or if the Nets decide they want to move on from Joe Harris, you can use TLC and salary filler to get it done. Uh, What that salary filler would be, I don't know. You have Patterson, depending on how well Grant and Noel perform for you. There's Alex Abrinas as well, but I don't know that this team is in a position where they can give up shooting to just get shooting. I could, if they're going to make a move, though, I could see it being that type of situation. Uh, Schroeder's trade value seems like something that would be addressed more so during the offseason. Even if he plays up to his contract or even if he just plays fantastic overall, I don't know that the Thunder would be willing to... uh, pivot into something different because I don't know what you get for him um, even on even if he plays well on this contract and if he is playing well if he's become tradable if you can get an asset for him it's probably because you need him so that's where I just land for them this team pretty easy better defense or better offense um yeah I agree this is probably pretty easy we've already talked about their shooting woes and they are loaded uh, with defensive players, Andre Roberson, Jeremy Grant, Stephen Adams, Nerlens Noel, Paul George, um, a bunch of really, really solid defensive players. So I think it's pretty obviously defense. Same. Playoffs or nah? It's also super easy, I think. Yeah, this one's pretty easy too. Um, you know, I've said a bunch of times on the podcast that three through nine, three through 10 is going to be crazy in the West, but I feel pretty confident that uh, the Thunder are going to wind up in the playoffs. What's their ceiling? In the playoffs. I think they can get to the Western Conference Finals. Um, I don't think they're beating the Warriors once they get there. But if I think if everything kind of clicks right with this team, they could be very, very good. And I, I could see them getting all the way to the, the Conference Finals. Don't have anything to add to that either because I agree. I will say that I think they're probably, if you look at Golden State's potential rivals or peers, they're probably one of the five toughest prospective best-of-seven matchups for them. I think you throw them in there with Toronto and Boston if you still want to include Houston. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Now we're moving on to Andy's least favorite team as we continue to go um, down the standings in decreasing order of uh, where they sat in the Northwest Division. That would be the Utah Jazz, who had a hell of a year last year. They were 48-34. and Per cleaning the glass, they were 5th in net rating, 16th in offensive rating, and second in defensive rating. Um, what was their best offseason move, Andy? I guess it has to be Grayson Allen by default, right? Um, you this could is really t- like that they re-signed Derek Favors. Um, yeah, I mean, if we're going to talk about the re-signings, I actually liked all those deals. Uh, I get why people thought both Favors and Exum were overpays, um, but I, I could kind of see Utah's reasoning 
behind it. I was just thinking of additions. Um, and really the only one is, is Grace and Allen. And I was a little bit down on the draft pick when it happened. Cause I, I went into the draft thinking, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't like super low on Grace and Allen. He just didn't really excite me. Um, uh, but he showed me some things in summer that I didn't really think he, ha- or I didn't realize he had, he averaged almost nine assists for 36 minutes in summer league play. And he was playing, you know, straight up point guard the entire time. So that playmaking ability was better than I thought it would be. So I'm a little bit higher on that draft pick than I was on the night it was made. I'm still not even sure he's going to play because this team is so deep. I, I, it's hard for me to figure out where he even it would be in the rotation, but I went with Grayson Allen just by sort of a default type thing. He would be, I did not, I, I, I don't watch a ton of college basketball when it's happening. I try and crunch all of my research into probably the month before the draft or something. His, playmaking during summer league took me off guard and I think he's a he's a good pick I like their best move to me was just the Derek Favors contract and it it, t- it wasn't so much Derek Favors the player as it was the structure non-guaranteed in year two and now you just have this big 16.9 million dollar trade ship if the right opportunity comes along and I think the Jazz are going to want to conserve their cap space because they're going to have a a fairly clear path to more than $30 million in room, basically max money. Uh, the, the only thing they would really struggle to is to get to that, you know, 10 year or more veteran max with Kevin Durant, but they could still get there to offer a $38 million contract. Uh, starts actually a little higher than that, but you get my point. And I'm, I'm not sure they want to compromise that flexibility at the same time. Now you have this serviceable player who isn't going to caught who saves the team a ton of money if they're looking to dump salary the following season. And he's making enough to where you can match some pretty substantial deals if they come on the market. And I, I like that they had that foresight because you combine that with Tabo Cephalosha's expiring contract. You have FK Udo. Uh, they, they could be interesting around the trade deadline. I know the Jazz aren't a team to do that, but I think they've left themselves that option without uh, jeopardizing their ceiling or chemistry at all yeah i agree that the way that was structured was really really smart uh you laid it out perfectly there it was also smart for favors too because for a big man to get another team wasn't good who was gonna if you look at it he's basically making two years at the mid-level in one year it would have been a little bit more he signed a two-year mid-level deal elsewhere and he has the opportunity to then make the same amount of money next year if the Jazz keep him which if they strike out in free agency and they just want a player they know works or they want another potential trade chip uh, they, they could keep him uh, just because that's who not going to be a movable deal who would have given him two years at the mid-level this summer too the Bucks I mean, would have been smart to have done so but I'm um, again the market wouldn't have maybe three teams yeah, if that so it for, was tight so it was a good move for him too yeah what was their worst I, I think you have to say their their worst move or the worst was it something that they didn't do that you wanted them to do. So maybe this is just going to sound like a, you know a big Homer <laughs> section for me, and, and maybe it is. Um, but by the time the dust kind of settled on this off season, I was totally okay with the Jazz just running it back, and I I, I understood their reasoning for all of it. Jonas Jerebko was sixth on the team in win shares last season. I don't think it's a huge deal that he left, but this is another just sort of by default. This was this was the guy they lost. 
Um, he played a small role, I think less than 20 minutes a game, but he, he was good at, you know, doing exactly what he was expected to. He played hard on defense. He hit threes on the other end. Um, I think they have guys that will replace that and, and then some. So again, it's not a huge loss, but it's, it's really about the only one. And I think, you know, we could make the argument that they could have gone after another wing this summer. But like you said earlier, I, I'm pretty sure they're saving their, uh, ammo, so to, so to speak for next summer. Which is exactly why my critique is going to come off as hypocritical. I think you, I think you can reasonably pick the Dante Exum deal. I don't. It's it's a worthwhile gamble, but part and parcel of being successful as an NBA team is to get these steal of a contracts. And I don't know that you look at Dante Exum and think that that contract is a steal. Who was giving him that money? I, like who was paying him nine point six million dollars a year? I don't. I honestly don't know where that money was coming from, unless they thought Sacramento was going to get themselves involved. I'm not picking that though because it could end up being a fine deal. But if you were going to dole out that money to him, or if you were going to pay Derek Favors what you did, I'm I'm wondering if it would have behooved them to kind of look at finding another shot creator off the dribble, even if it was just super low end, uh, someone who didn't make any money and I'm not saying they should have went out and signed Jamal Crawford I know that'll give you a heart attack but when Ricky Rubio is second (laughs) on your team in pull-up attempts per game you have an issue and I do I do believe that we need to account for improvement on Donovan Mitchell's part their offense will soar if he hits he shot 34.6 percent on pull-up jumpers last year and that number I'm just going to assume comes up That'll be big for their offense. But you just look at kind of some of the deeper details. They were 18th in offensive efficiency after their all-star break, after the all-star break while they were going on that tear. Then they were 29th in efficiency when shooting between, uh, after using between three and six dribbles. Uh, Quinn Snyder's kind of ball and body movement offense mitigates some of the need to have someone who can create off the dribble in volume, and maybe Dante Exum is that guy. Maybe you get by uh, by using him and Ricky Rubio, a little bit of Alec Burks, Jay Crowder heat checks. Maybe you get Joe Ingles to be a little bit more selfish every now and then. Looking ahead to the playoffs, though, that seems like it could be their biggest Achilles heel, is that they don't have that second just volume shot creator out uh to partner with Donovan Mitchell and that's just again it's me being hypocritical because I uh, I like that they can serve their cap space and flexibility you can go out and you can chase the Butlers and the Kawhi Leonard's this summer you can target the Middletons and and Har- uh, Tobias Harris's who should be objectively gettable for a team like them but if we're looking at the Jazz as a contender and I think it's fair to look at that um to not place more of an immediate emphasis on that shot creation void uh, did did kind of it didn't run me the wrong way, but it's just something to note. And hey, you know maybe Grayson Allen ends up being that player. Who, who knows? But as of right now, I think that that's their biggest void. Yeah, I mean, I could see the argument for sure. Um, but like we both said, I, I think they're going to have a chance at that next season or next summer. Most likely breakout candidate on this team. I'm going to go with Dante Exum. Um, <laughs> I feel like we've been waiting for this for three or four years, but I, I think we finally got, you know, 
a very real flash of what he could be at the end of last season when he came back from that shoulder injury. In the regular season, he averaged 18 points, seven assists, four rebounds, and a steal per 75 possessions. And I know you love that I use per 75 possessions now. Um, <laughs> when players were defended by him in the playoffs, they shot 33.3%. Um, and the Exum-Mitchell duo in the regular season, 10.5 net rating. Um, so when those two were on the floor, the Utah scored opponents by 10.5 points per game. Um, I hope to see a lot more of those Exum Mitchell minutes, which Jazz fans are already calling DMX. Um, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you'd get a kick out of that. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm still very much in on Dante Exum. And I, you know, there's some sticker shock with that deal three years, 33 million. But I think if he becomes what he has the potential to be, that could be, if not a steal, at least justifiable by year two. And maybe even this year. Like if, if he replicates what he did at the end of last season for an entire season, I think he's he's probably worth that as your maybe your sixth or seventh man off the bench. So he is uh my breakout candidate, and I think that one was pretty easy for me. He would be my pick for them too. Uh, unless you think Donovan Mitchell is going to turn into the MVP, because I don't know how much more he can break out compared to last year. His, uh, I mean, I touched upon this before. If he can help them offensively with the ball in his hands, just as a setup man or someone who can get to the rim, or maybe someone who has a floater all of a sudden and can carry some of the pull-up workload, the the Jazz are just a different team. Then they're they're that much scarier. His defense is already there, though. Do you know? What and this is a it's a ten game sample size, but do you know what opponents shot against Dante Exum in isolation during the postseason? Hmm, I don't. Eighteen point two percent. Two of eleven. Uh, he forced turnovers on fourteen point three percent of the possessions that he defended. Incredibly small sample size, but you look at. Some of his assignments, particularly the time he spent on James Harden, you look at how this is someone who barely played during the regular season. And so that 10-game sample size was almost his entire regular season sample size uh, because he only played 14 games before that. This is someone who can defend point guards, shooting guards, and small forwards without issue, basically. And to have him on on a defense that was probably – let's say minimally without him, if you pull him off this team, we look at the jazz and we still say, Hey, they're a top three defensive team to give them someone like him is almost unfair. Yeah. And I think if him and Gobert are healthy, um, we could probably get more into this on one of the later questions, but that's uh, very likely the best defense in the NBA player. Most likely to be traded on this team. I think you laid it out perfectly um, when you talked about the structure of Derek Favors' contract, and he's you know he's been talked about as a trade possibility for two or three years now. So I don't think Utah's going to make a deal. This is the third team in a row that I've said this on now. But if they do, um, they could do some interesting things with Derek Favors. My pick would be Alec Burks um, because Favors, I think, is someone that they want to keep on the off chance they strike out in the summer. And you look mm-hmm. at Burks' salary, expiring contract, eleven point. $5 million roughly, you pair that with a first-round pick, and some of these teams that just, if they just end up tanking or they just end up being terrible, uh, that, you, know, you could build a deal with Cleveland if you gave them a first-round pick for Kyle Korver and then another 
salary filler for Alec Burks. That's something that they could look at. Uh, there, there are deals that they could look at in that vein where they're not giving up because I don't think we know Alec Burks isn't a big part of their future. He's not going to be a big part of their immediate aspirations either. And you pair him with a first-round pick later in the season, you might be able to pick up a rotation player, an extra shooter, an extra something. And I wonder if his really good run through the playoffs helped his trade value at all, because he was um, he was critical in a couple games for them. I don't know if I'd be I'd be interested to see whether any team would acquire him as a value play. It just seems like they would yeah, look at him as you know what sweet. he's coming off the books, and if they're giving yeah. us a first round pick and we're giving up this guy, I could see it being that type of situation. And I think he's he's almost thirty years old, right? He's been in the league for a while. Yeah, he's twenty seven. So yeah, I think I think twenty seven is almost thirty. Wow, I'm twenty nine. <laughs> what are you trying to say? Is that old? <laughs> okay. Um, well, once you pass thirty, like I have, it's just it's it's all a vortex at that point. Fair enough. Uh, this is another. <laughs> this seems like another easy one. Better defense or offense for the Jazz? Yeah, this one is easy. Um, it's the defense, and I think if Gobert's health the all season it's the number one defense in the nba they had the number one defense in the nba for more than 50 games last year and so i don't even if you don't want to make the assumption that they'll be number one uh, maybe boston or toronto gets in there oklahoma city could get in there but they're they're going to be a top five defensive team and i don't think you can say that with their offense if it for their offense though if they can get like 12th uh 10th that's just absurdly scary. They're all yeah. they're always going to be this great regular season team, though. And my only questions about their offense is kind of how it holds up against some of the playoff teams that they will face. Yeah, I was going to say their ceiling on offense is probably top ten. And if they do get there, then like like you said, that's um, you know that's a borderline title contender. I, if they're if, defense and tenth in offense. Yeah, if they get like seventh or fifth in offensive efficiency. Donovan Mitchell needs to get MVP votes or Quinn Snyder needs to get coach of the year because that's just the only, those are the only two players that I could see being remote, uh, two components of their team being that responsible for them. That that would be playing way above their offense, their heads on the offensive end. And this could be a good offensive team. I don't want to take away from that. Um, I try to envision a version of Joe Ingles where he just decides to shoot 15 times a game and I always end up loving it, but they, (laughs) they just don't have that in their, as a team really in their DNA. And so if they outperform our expectations on the offensive end, we're probably talking about a number two seed in the Western conference, potentially, which steps on the toes of our playoffs or not category. I know this is going to be a tough one for you. Yeah. Much like the thunder. Um, this is when I feel fairly comfortable in saying yes. And if Joe Ingles shot 15 times a game, he'd average 45 points a game, 45 points a game. Yes. <laughs> Hundred percent shooting on all three pointers. I can Correct. See it. Um, what is their ceiling in the? I could see them. I think you throw them at overall. You throw them in the Oklahoma City conversation where they could. You could talk yourself into them getting the number two seed. Maybe as a fan, you're more pessimistic than I am. Once they get into the playoffs, though, is what is? Do they have that same conference final ceiling as Oklahoma City? Yeah, that's where I put them anyway. Um, I think they can get to the Western Conference Finals. I just I don't see them getting past the Warriors. Um, I, I think they showed a lot when they beat the Thunder uh, 
in the first round. They took a game off the Rockets. And like I said, or like we've said a bunch of times, I think the Rockets got slightly worse. Utah got slightly better. So maybe that gap is closed between them and the Rockets. I, I think there's a chance they get to the Western Conference Finals. I would agree. I would just say that the matchups that would terrify me for them in the playoffs would be Golden State, obviously, Houston still, and Denver. Just because of all the way those teams run their offenses, they could beat Denver, and they're going to be a better team than Denver. But those, just the way those teams play, uh, things could get hairy for Utah. This all those, all those pick and rolls with Harden and Chris Paul were were clearly a problem for them in the playoffs. And those two guys are were, are both still on the Rockets. So yeah, that's that could be trouble. And you sprinkle in a three point volume that the the Jazz probably aren't going to match. Uh, it's it, things get a, a little bit weird there. We now are moving on to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, good God, the Northwest Division is hellacious. I always forget. Yep. Minnesota, 47. and the best division in basketball. Yes, I, I could see that. Um, Minnesota, actually, it's probably not even close at this point, so I don't even need to see it. Minnesota, 47-35. and 35. According to Cleaning the Glass, they were eighth in net rating. They were fourth in offensive rating and 23rd in defensive rating. Um. What was the best? What was the best offseason move for this team, Andy? Um, I think your chuckle as you asked that question is appropriate. <laughs> this was a very bizarre offseason. It continues to be bizarre. It seems like they're uh, on the path to get Luol Deng at this point, and I wouldn't put it past them to figure out some way to bring in Joachim Noah. <laughs> the best offseason move, I guess, all things considered, is Kata Bates' job and. You know, this is a guy that a lot of people looked at as a first-round talent in the draft, and they got him at 48. So kudos to them. I, I think he, he forward terribly in summer league, but he did average about 15.7 boards, two steals, and a block. Um, just sort of the Swiss Army knife type of production that I think he has the potential to provide. <laughs> Having said all that, will Tibbs play a rookie? Any sort of meaningful minutes, I have no idea. But I, this is another one that's just sort of a by default. I'm going with Kata Bates' job. I would go with him too. I might also just say they're, they're they had a good draft in general. I like Josh Akogi as well. So, and yeah. it comes down to though, is Tibbs going to play them? And if they if the Timberwolves sign Luel Dang, the answer is no. The answer might already be no anyway. We could see Anthony Tolliver log some shooting guard minutes. Um, Dang, I will say Dang objectively, in as far as Tibbs going after all his old players go, at least it makes some semblance of sense because you just need bodies at the three spot, and he's someone that can play some four as well, or or we think we haven't really seen Dang play in about a decade. So, uh, but yeah, I would, their draft was probably my favorite part about their off season, and it's just it's upsetting because you know if Justin Patton is an indicator, they're just not going to play. The youngsters, granted, they need these two, but also granted, they needed wings to begin with. And Tibbs went out, and the first things he did was re-sign Derrick Rose and get Anthony Tolliver yeah. while hard capping themselves, yeah. mind you. Uh, what was so many to choose from here? Uh, biggest. Yeah. What was the worst off-season move for them, or the it's biggest funny loss? To say that. Um, it's funny you phrase it that way because I just typed pick one out of a hat. Um, <laughs> The Derrick Rose re-signing you already mentioned. <laughs> there, okay, I looked this up a couple nights ago. 
there have been 13,449 individual seasons with at least as many minutes as Rose played last season. Rose's 2017-18 box plus minus ranks 13,407th out of that group. That seems low. Uh, he was bad. He's been bad for a few years. Um, I get he had like a little uptick in the playoffs, but he's he's not good. Uh, Tolliver is fine. I, I think he's good in a lot of situations, but like you said, that's he's not what they needed. Um, Luol Dang maybe has something left in the tank, but I think he's probably more of a four in today's NBA than a three. Um, so I, I think they were just whiffing left and right this summer i'm 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 tempted to stick with pick one out of a hat but if i have to if i have to take just one i'm i'm gonna go with derrick rose i think their worst move of the offseason is going to be when they inevitably sign joe noah no i won't (laughs) i won't pick that the i hate saying this because i really like anthony tolliver as a player and he's going to space the floor for them but thibodeau said that they needed wings who can defend and shoot anthony tolliver is not a wing and you proceeded to hard cap yourself to get him. It made no sense. It was almost like he looked at uh, Bielita and said, you know, we're going to need a replacement for him. And we're going to get someone who's maybe a little bit better, uh, maybe a little bit better defensively if we did throw him at the three. I don't even know that you could say that. I, I, it was just mind-blowing to me. And you know what? The, the logic behind some of these things is just, if you re-sign Derrick Rose, it seems like a negligible move. But what does that say about your investment in uh tyus jones who was good for them last year in the small burst playing time that he logged i don't necessarily and i'm it does i I flat out just don't understand what the hell the timberwolves did this offseason they didn't have a lot of financial flexibility to begin with but the market would have allowed them to have gone out and gotten a wing with the money that they spent on anthony tolliver it could have even been a question mark shooter like luke Bamute. Like he signed for less than Anthony Tolliver to go to the Clippers on a one year deal. And I, I just again the logic here, it just doesn't track. It's almost like Tibbs was afraid that the, the market was gonna be more aggressive this year when no one had cap space. I'm just I shouldn't be flabbergasted, but I somehow am. Maybe I had higher expectations just because Tibbs acknowledged that this is what we need. And if this is all if it turns out that he just plans on playing the kiddies, then more power to him. If that's why he did this, but we both know, and everyone yeah, who's listening to this probably knows that uh, that that assumption is full of shit. Yeah, that's very unlikely. <laughs> Most likely breakout candidate on this roster. So, um, at the end of my little write up on this one, I put seems unlikely. So, <laughs> um, I put Tyus Jones, and uh, I guess my reasoning is that Tyus Jones was good last year. And and maybe if Tibbs doesn't play those rookie wings, maybe he plays Rose as a backup wing and Tyus Jones gets a few more minutes at backup point guard. I have to go through a bunch of little <laughs> qualifiers like that just to find minutes for Tyus Jones, even though I, I, I mean, I think I, he should play more and I would play him more. I just don't think Tibbs is going to do it. Um, if there is some way that he gets to like 20, 20 plus minutes the game, I think he could be the breakout for them. But watching this team for a couple years and his last few years in Chicago it seems pretty clear what's going to happen and it's not going to be more minutes for young guys like Tyus Jones 
Yeah, I really want to be able to pick Justin Patton because I was high on him coming out of the draft. But even if Tibbs was going to play the kiddies, you can't pick him because Carl Anthony Towns exists. I'm yeah. I don't see a breakout candidate on this roster, and I'm not even trying yeah, to one. like I'm not even trying to crap on, on the Timberwolves. I just don't I, I don't see it. If I had to pick though, and I do because we make the rules and we have to pick, I think it could be Kate of HJ up just because uh, if he ends up playing. You were talking about him being a Swiss Army knife. He was someone who a lot of people thought, like you said, had first-round talent. They need wings. It just wouldn't surprise me if we're talking about uh, advanced metrics in the middle of the year. Uh, you've seen, excuse me, you've seen Diop play some some minutes, a fair amount of minutes, and we're having the conversation that he's been more impactful to them than Andrew Wiggins, and that's just. I don't think it'll happen offensively, but when you look at what they're going to need defensively, uh, I, I think that's a distinct possibility. Player most likely to be traded on this team. Um, I think we're going to be in agreement on this one too. It's uh, for me, it's Jimmy Butler. There's already all these <laughs> chemistry issues with the Timberwolves, and as much as uh, Tibbs seems to want to reunite his old Bulls teams, that's that's the guy with the most trade value. Um, and with the ex- exception of possibly Carl Towns, it's, it seems like it's the guy who's, um, already thinking about getting out. Yeah. I don't feel comfortable. I agree with you. I also don't feel comfortable picking him just because if it's up to Tibbs, he'll let it ride into free agency. And so now That's- we're, we're sort of just saying that Jimmy Butler needs to ask for a trade or tell them that he's not coming back. I I think that's definitely possible. Um, at the same time, even if you didn't want to pick Butler, I don't know that you go up and down the roster and think that there's another candidate. If if Carl Anthony Towns enters the trade, rumor mill Tibbs needs to be fired immediately again. Uh, he needs to be extended, not uh, thrown to the trade rumor mill. Will trade rumor mill Wolves, and I don't think you're gonna be able to move Andrew Wiggins. And even if you do, it's not going to be yeah. for real value. Yeah. That would bring us to better defense or offense for this team. Another easy one, I think. Yeah, this this is another one where I don't think uh, you know it was it was clearly offense last year. I don't think enough changed to change that. So I think it's clearly going to be offense again. They got a lot of you know offense, all offense, no defense players. Wiggins, Towns, Teague, um, Jimmy Butler can't make all that up by himself. I I agree with you. I'm just going to say that. I, I do believe they're due for some regression. I don't think you can look at them as a top five, top seven, whatever offensive team. Oh, yeah. I don't either. Yeah. Right. They were second in mid-range volume last year, according to Clean the Glass. Um, 24th in corner three-pointers volume, uh, volume on corner three-pointers. Uh, non-corner three-pointers, they were dead last. And so that shot distribution is just weird. They didn't get to the rim particularly often. 20 in frequency of shots attempted at the rim. But their defense should be so bad that it doesn't matter because they're st- they have guys who can score, and so even if the shot distribution's wonky, they should be at least an above average offensive team. Here's a not so fun question: Playoffs or not nah for the Timberwolves? Yeah, uh, as with all these Western Conference teams, it's not so fun. I I kind of hedged on this one, and I said it just depends on if Butler's there the whole year. I think if they trade him midseason, they probably miss. Um, if they ride it out into free agency, then I, I think they do make it. I'm going to say no, and that's even if they have Butler. 
which I'm not even sure they will that long. Yeah. If they do make the playoffs for their what's their ceiling, I I don't see them making it out of the first round. I just don't. I, I look at the team, and they would need – Andrew Wiggins would need to make a leap. Carl Anthony Towns would need to be a really good defender. You'd probably need to get something out of Diop, or you would need Luel Dang to party like he did with the Miami Heat. Um, <laughs> so I, I just don't – I don't see anything more than a first-round playoff team. And that's at best. I, I just don't expect them to make the postseason this year when you look at the Western Conference's setup. Our final team. I totally agree. Our First fi- round is their ceiling. Yeah. Our final team will be the Denver Nuggets, who, d- despite finishing last in the Northwest Division last year, were still 10 games over 500, 46 and 36. They were 13th in net rating, 6th in offensive rating and 21st in defensive rating, all according to cleaning the glass. What was their best offseason move, Andy? I liked a few things they did. Um, I think the Wilson Chandler trade made sense. I think, you know, getting off some of those contracts helped them. I actually kind of like the Isaiah Thomas play Um, as a sixth man. I think he's super interesting there, but I'm going to go with Michael Porter at number 14, at that point in the draft, there was just almost no risk with taking him. So you get a guy who's potentially a top you know, five player from this class at the very, very back end of the lottery. I, I think that wound up being a steal for them. That, that's definitely a good pick. Um, just because he kind of fell into their laps, I still think it was uh, the – and Isaiah Thomas kind of fell into their laps too. But that's, that's still – we're talking about a guy who is – not two years removed from one of the best offensive seasons in NBA history or in Celtics yeah, history, true. whatever you want to call it. One of the most impactful players on offense that year. Uh, I think Isaiah Thomas in 2016, 2017 was top five in MVP voting. He's not going to be that player, but now that he's your backup point guard, uh, it's just your offense is going to be nasty. And however bad your defense is, and, and maybe you improve um, with a fully healthy Millsap for the season, uh, to, to just have him there is just going to be big for them the question though i could also see this going belly up as well if he's going to want to dominate the ball at all times and not try and make cuts or not shoot spot up threes then then that's when the issues start to surface uh who is for you uh or what was the worst offseason move or the biggest loss for them this is another team where i don't i don't think any of their losses really hurt them all that bad i just went with wilson chandler Again, this is kind of as a default type thing. He he wasn't, you know, one of their very best players, but he's just been kind of a steady, solid cog with the Nuggets for years now. So that's – they lost him. <laughs> um, I'm going with that as sort of a default one. But, again, I, I don't think losing Wilson Chandler, Kenneth Fareed, or Darrell Arthur, I don't think any of those really hurt the, the Nuggets too much. It It has to be Wilson Chandler, but I, just because they're so still low on wings – especially if you don't think Michael Porter Jr. is going to play this season or if you don't think he's going to play much. Uh, at the same time, Torrey Craig probably gives you more defensively than Wilson Chandler did. And Wilson Chandler isn't this spectacular three-point shooter. And I actually liked bringing Torrey Craig back, by the way. I thought the, the deal there was good value. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's fair to question the price point on the Will Barton deal. Uh, they gave him four years on an increasing scale and $53 million more than they offered him in an extension the summer before. And in this market, I'm not sure who was going to match this 
for him. I get that while this is a business, you can't just lowball everyone because the market says so. That is a contract, though, that could maybe it ages well, maybe it doesn't, and it's just something to monitor. But otherwise, it really just has to be. I don't think you could have let him go, and I really, I was the one who talked you into Will Barton, so I'm not about to try talking anybody out of him. But just something to monitor there. Uh, big, uh, excuse me, most likely breakout for this team, most likely breakout player. I feel like he he sort of broke out already last season, but I I think I could see him getting to another level, and that's Jamal Murray. If you, I think I've, I think I've cited this stat before on here, but I'm going to do it again. If you cut out, he had a really cold start to the season. If you just lop that off, um, over his last 60 games, Murray averaged about 18 points, two and a half threes, and shot 41 percent from three. I could see even a slight uptick from that. Like I could, I could see him averaging 20 points a game this season, um, and a jump from, I think overall he averaged about 17 from that to 20. That that's still a breakout to me, and I think he could be. Uh, possibly their their first or second leading scorer. It's Murray for me as well. At the end of the year, I think we're going to look back and say that Jamal Murray is a top 10 point guard in the NBA. And that's just where I'm at with him. Um, from January 1st until the end of the season, he averaged 17.4 points, 3.9 assists, and one, point, uh, one steal while slashing 46, 40, 89. He shot 45.5% on crunch time threes after the All-Star break. What I also really like about him is while they're waiting for his off-the-dribble game to sort of come along, and I think it'll get there. He hit some, or at least attempted, some gutsy shots in close games, especially late in the season last year. But 18% of his touches, uh, or close to it, came off spot-up opportunities, and he averaged 1.18 points per possession, which put him in the 88th percentile of the league and to have that guy who can fluctuate or vacillate between ball dominant and non-ball dominant it's big alongside Nikola Jokic and it should only aid what we believe will be his breakout season player most likely to be traded on the Nuggets this is another one that was hard um this question was tough for just about every team we did in this division but I went with Trey Lyles um They've got a decent amount of guys who can play some power forward, and maybe he's the one who still has some some trade value if they do end up testing the market. If they go after a star, maybe Jamal Murray gets into the conversation. But uh, I don't know if I would say he's like top 10 point guard material, like you just said, but I think he's good enough that Denver should want to hold on tight. So as far as player most likely to be traded, I'm going to go with Trey Lyles. He's a good pick. Um, if if they're trying to preemptively dump salary for next year, next summer in 2019, maybe it's Mason Plumley. I I do I don't really have anything to add. It would be Trey Lyles for me, uh, just because he's in a contract year, and maybe some team just wants to take the the flyer on him. It would be interesting if because we talked about Damian Lillard potentially hitting the trade market. If Portland does decide to hit reset, Jamal Murray's an interesting starting point in Denver for Damian Lillard trade talks. Yeah. Although, like you said, I mean, maybe they have their own sort of homegrown Damian Lillard. Um, but I do, I do think that accelerates their window if they got Damian Lillard now. For sure. Better defense or offense for this team? That really shouldn't even be a question. Yeah, it's uh, pretty obvious. The Warriors led the NBA in offense this past season, 112.3 points per 100 possessions. Um, 
This season, the Nuggets scored 112.6 when Jokic was on the floor. Last season, they scored 114.9 when Jokic was on the floor. As long as he's their starting center, they're going to have one of the better uh, offenses in the NBA. Yeah, it's just, it's absolutely nuts. I Do you think that they will be better on defense this year, though, uh, more than a bottom 10 team? Um, I think you mentioned this already, but, it, you know, if Paul Millsap is healthy the whole year, uh, I think that helps them a lot. We also have to factor in the fact that <laughs> Isaiah Thomas might be playing 20 to 25 minutes, and maybe that just negates <laughs> whatever impact Paul, Paul Millsap has. I if I had to pick, I'd say they probably finish bottom 10 again, but there is a chance they rise above that. I will say that they're pretty good at preventing transition opportunities. They're bad at defending in transition, but they're really good about getting back and sort of dissuading teams from going after them in transition, and maybe that's just the starting point. Nikola Jokic is good. Uh, he's, a, he's a good defensive rebounder, which does that does add defensive value. There There is value in ending a team's possession on one try and so that helps them and again if you have a healthy Millsap um and maybe Torrey Craig makes some improvement maybe you just get better defense from Jamal Murray as well as he goes into his third year I could see them being a closer to average defensive team but the answer is clearly offense player or uh player playoffs or not for this team um I think they're in this is this is a team that I think is a little bit – I'm a little bit more tentative on than I was with the Jazz and Thunder. But I do think, you know, assuming everybody's healthy, they probably get in. I'm with you. And it's kind of a gamble because when you put them in, you have to take a team out. And since we – most of us will assume that the Lakers make a playoffs, you're taking two teams out of last year's postseason race, which is ridiculously difficult. But I believe they'll get in, and that fits with – my prediction of saying that the Timberwolves and the Trailblazers w- will not, but this is a team that could, that could, I mean, they almost did last year, but if Millsap's going to be healthy, um, Jamal Murray continues to improve. If, if the Isaiah Thomas signing works out, this is a team that we could look back um, at saying they won close to 50 games or, or over 50 games. And that would not surprise me. I have one more thing on the offense before we talk about their uh, playoff ceiling. I was looking this up while we were talking I don't remember exactly when the switch flipped, but I've heard Adam Mata's of the uh, Locked On Nuggets podcast talk about. At one point, Michael Malone said, "I'm I'm done messing around. We're going to trust Jokic with the offense." Um, and I think it was around this time, January 27th, <coughs> to the end of the season, Jokic averaged 21 points, 11 rebounds, seven assists, one steal, one block, two threes, shot 53% from the field, 46% from three. And over that same time frame, the Nuggets had the best offense in the NBA, 113.2 from January 27th to the end of the season. If, and, and this is still an if somehow, because it's, it's been a question for, for every year that Michael Malone's been there. If they start out the way they should, fully trusting Nikola Jokic, um, I think this team has a chance to have the best offense in the NBA. Better than the Warriors. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I think there's been pretty, you know, protracted stretches in each of the last two seasons when they were better than the Warriors. And maybe you can chalk it up to the Warriors uh, coasting in the second half of regular seasons, and I'm sure there's something to that. But I'm, they're, they're going to coast again this year. So uh, I, I think if they play the way that they know <laughs> works for an entire season, 
they should be pretty ridiculous offensively. Well, and you look at their new starting lineup. And so Barton, Gary Harris, Jokic, Millsap, and Murray, uh, they were a plus 38.6 points per 100 possessions with an offensive rating north of 132 when they played together last year, according to Clean the Glass. Yeah. Uber small sample size, but that's a combination that you look at and say, you know what, they probably should have 120, 125 offensive rating. Yeah, I think I think they're very much going to be in the conversation for best offense in the NBA. Wouldn't surprise me. I think top top five for sure, and the boldest I'd probably be willing to go is saying I, I do think they'll end up in the top three. What's their ceiling should they get to the playoffs as we both expect them to do? I'm I'm going Western Conference Finals again. <laughs> oh, third team. <laughs> third team in this division that I've done this with. I know I'm higher on Nikola Jokic than most people are, but I think he's arguably the best center in the NBA. And they have a ton of talent around him. I think Jamal Murray is very good. I think Gary Harris, who we barely even mentioned, is very, very good. Um, like you said, you talked me into Will Barton. If Paul Millsap is healthy, I think he's a great fit with Nikola Jokic. Now they've bolstered the bench a little bit with Isaiah Thomas. I, I think this team has the chance to be really good. And if they are clicking um, by the time the playoffs roll around, then um, – there are very few teams that can slow them down. I'm actually really mad you pick Western Conference Finals because that's what I had jotted down, and I thought I was going to be the one making the leap. They, I, I, I think this is – I can simplify it down to this for my answer. When I look at the West, there's not a single team that I look at and say they would definitely unequivocally without question beat Denver in a best-of-seven series other than the Warriors. That's the, and yeah. I think they could give the Warriors some fits. I don't think they beat them, but their play style um, and how they could get up and down the floor, uh, how quickly they even make decisions in the half court will be a problem for anyone. And when you look at Houston's regression, the uncertainty of Oklahoma City spacing, uh, Utah's lack of off the bounce creation once you move on from Donovan Mitchell, they, they could cause some problems for basically anyone. Yeah. Um... I'm pretty high on the Nuggets. It's, they're going to be really, really fun to watch this season, as they always are, as long as uh, Jokic is on the floor and throwing those water polo assists from the high post. <laughs> all right, and with that, we have covered all five teams in the Northwest Division. Uh, I personally think we did it very thoroughly and beautifully and articulately. But if you have any gripes or uh, other sort of reactions, find us on Twitter. Dan is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. Um, as always, rate the show. Uh, review it if you haven't. Tell your friends about it. See if you can get them to subscribe. Um, we appreciate all that stuff, and we appreciate those of you who listen. Every time we put out a new episode, you guys are the best. Uh, until we hear from, or until you hear from us again, shout out to Ben Udri and Kyle Anderson. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late. And that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. And our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.